Bible reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parable. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seen seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. Good morning and welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg. I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church in Weinberg, Cape Town, South Africa. If you're with us for the first time, we're delighted that you've joined us and I hope by the grace of God that our Bible talk this morning will be a blessing and an encouragement to you 
even as you continue in fellowship with your local church. Now since the lockdown, most churches have been operating online and many people who usually don't go to church have been listening to Bible teaching perhaps for the first time. And if that's you and you'd like to find out more about the Christian message, we really would like to help you. So can I encourage you to visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and please leave your contact details on the homepage and one of us on the staff will get back to you during the week. We look forward to meeting you. Well now I do hope that you've got the passage open in front of you that Gillian just read to us. Mark chapter 4 beginning at verse 1, verse 1 through to verse 20. And uh, before we uh, study it, I'm going to ask for God's help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege of opening your word and holding it in our hands. And we pray now that you would open our lives and hold them in your hands, so that as we read about you in the pages of Scripture, our hearts may be warmed with a renewed awareness of your love. Our minds might be filled with your truth and our lives might be equipped to serve and glorify your name. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, I think most of us uh, before the lockdown have travelled on an aircraft at some time or other. And uh, if you have, you'll be familiar with the pre-flight routine. And if you think about it, there's something really rather strange about those few minutes before takeoff. Uh, one of the stewardesses addresses the passengers. She gives us detailed instructions about what to do in an emergency. She invites us to follow along with the card in the seat pocket in front of us. But uh, the strange part about it is that although she's talking about a really serious life and death situation, most of us don't even hear a word she's saying. We're either absorbed in conversation, reading a book, or staring out of the window. Of course, if you fly fairly regularly, then you know the message. You've heard it before. But I guess the real reason we don't listen is that we don't imagine for one moment that the plane is going to crash and that what she has to say is going to be of any real value to us. Now that, I think, is a helpful way into our passage this morning. It's the most familiar of the par parables that Jesus taught. In fact, it's so familiar that we're not sure that it has anything new to say to us. But that, of course, would be extremely unwise. Uh, I was very struck by one American pastor preaching on this passage who began by saying the title of the sermon this morning is How to Wreck Your Life. Uh, and he went on to take the parable and turn it upside down. And he said, here's the first step to wrecking your life. Don't listen to me. The second step in wrecking your life is get distracted. Uh, find something to take your mind off my message. Uh, step number three, try to get excited about the sermon, but only for one hour. Step four, uh, think about Christ as small and the world as very big because that really will help to wreck your life. Now that I think is a very imaginative way to preach the passage and it's got a lot to recommend it because the easiest way to wreck your life is not to listen to Jesus. But there's rather more to the story than that. 
You'll notice that in Jesus' story there are four types of hearer. There are some people who hear and nothing goes anywhere. Uh, Some who hear who have a short-term reaction. Some who hear who have a medium-term reaction. And some who hear and have a great reaction. But the point is, everybody hears. We might say, everybody is in church. Now that means, of course, that this parable is going to be lived out this morning in the next few minutes. The parable appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And it seems to be the key parable, because in verse 13, Jesus says that if you get this one, you'll get the others. And its position in Mark's book is very important. Because in chapter 3, there were lots of religious people who were not Christ's people. And we were faced with some family members, some of Jesus' biological family, who were not actually members of Jesus' real family. So Mark chapter 3 was introducing us to this false group that was close to Jesus. But they were rejected because they refused to listen. But we were also introduced to another group who turn out to be the true members of Jesus' family. And we saw, didn't we, that what the true members of Jesus' family have in common is that they are listening to Jesus with the greatest care. Now, all of that is vital preparation for chapter 4 and the story that begins, A sower went out to sow. We could say that the seed in the story is John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that message goes out across the whole world like seed. And as we look at the passage more closely, what I want us to do is notice four regular reactions. Then I want us to consider three real enemies. Then we're going to notice two meaty truths They come in the middle of the passage. And finally, we'll see one great triumph. And if all of that is just too much to take in, I just want us to see this morning that despite all of the opposition to the plan of God, and there's plenty of it, the harvest of God will take place. And if you only remember one thing, then remember that God is planning a wonderful harvest and it will happen. So firstly then, I want us to think about these four regular reactions. Uh, These are reactions that happen whenever somebody preaches the gospel. So don't just say to yourself, well I heard the gospel once, uh, I believed it back then, job done. Because these reactions take place whenever the word goes out. In fact, these reactions are going to happen in the next 15 minutes. So we read in chapter 4 verse 1 that Jesus is teaching by the lake. Uh, The crowd is enormous. And you would expect Jesus at this point, I think, to be very excited and try to get everybody on board by saying nice, soothing things. But Jesus doesn't get excited by the crowd. In fact, it seems to almost worry him. Uh, When the crowds are big, Jesus seems to become more blunt as if he feels a responsibility to prevent any kind of emotional response to the message. Jesus gets into a boat and he begins to teach. 
and he teaches a lesson on listening. Now, of course, we know that uh, preachers are only human. Uh, We know that preachers can have bad days, bad months, and even bad years. But Jesus is not here primarily speaking to preachers. He's speaking primarily to the listener. He's turning the tables round uh, because he wants to know whether you and I have ears to hear. And he uses a story about a farmer scattering seed. And he wants us to think about the four reactions as the seed is scattered. Now the first group in verse 4 get nothing at all. Uh, The seed falls on the path and the birds come and snatch it away. The seed doesn't even go in. It goes nowhere. Now friends, let me ask you, do you believe that this could happen? Do you believe that someone could say something as clear as John 3.16, for example, and that it just wouldn't be heard? Well, of course you do. Your friend could be listening to the gospel with you this morning. It goes in, it transforms their life. But for you, it just goes straight over your head. Or it could be the other way around. Uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle has a marvellous comment on this. Uh, I should warn you that we're going to hear rather a lot from J.C. Ryle this morning. And about this first group, he says this, There are people who pay no attention, take no interest, The word has no more effect than water on a stone. And how many live without faith, without fear, without knowledge, without grace? They live, they die, they're buried, they go to hell. Now we can understand a visitor missing the point. Uh, Somebody turns up for a once-off, they don't know what a sermon's for, they don't listen, they don't get it. But what do we make about the person who comes for years, maybe even decades? They hear every word the preacher says, but they never hear the gospel. Is that actually possible? Well, the answer is yes, and I can think of several examples. And I'm so glad that Jesus explains this, because he experienced it himself. And every preacher experiences the same thing. Uh, For many years, Dick Lucas was the pastor of a famous church in the city of London, in the financial district. No one has preached the gospel more clearly and more effectively than Dick Lucas. And I remember him saying on one occasion that he'd been preaching on this particular passage to a large group of businessmen. And uh, after the service, a well-known businessman came up to him. And in a very patronising tone, this man said, you know, I feel terribly sorry for you, Dick. It must be very hard for you preaching these agricultural stories in a city environment. In other words, this highly educated, respected businessman hadn't understood anything. He hadn't seen himself in Jesus' story. The seed hadn't gone in. The second group in the parable get very excited about the message in verses 5 and 6, but they soon lose interest, rather like seed landing in a centimetre of soil. Uh, The reaction of these people seems to be encouraging. It seems as though they've been greatly affected, but it dies away very quickly. Again, Bishop Ryle says, The temporary impression is good. They speak with apparent joy, but there is no root. Their faith has no more life than a cut flower. I don't know about you, but I think these phrases of J.C. Ryle are absolutely brilliant. Water off a stone, a cut flower. And it's hard for us not to rejoice, isn't it, when people get excited. 
It looks like there's been a change, a genuine transformation, a conversion. We might want to say, yes, there has been a conversion, but it turns out to be just hot air that goes nowhere. Now, over the years, I've seen many people who've responded to the gospel with joy, but have given up soon afterwards. And we might be really discouraged about that, were it not for the fact that Jesus prepares us to expect it. He also experienced crowds of people who seemed to be really excited, but who soon gave up and turned away. Well, the third group in the parable lasts for quite some time. They get the point. They don't drop off quickly, but they die slowly. They're choked. (coughs) Bishop Ryle says this, These people approve of the truth, they acknowledge it's right and good, but something appears to chain them, and they never get beyond a certain point. The reason is the world, and they bring forth no fruit. Now, as a a young believer, one of the first Christian books I ever read was a book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. And there's a passage in the middle of that book, which is a sermon on the Bible text, He Lingered, referring to Lot in the book of Genesis. Lot lingered. And this is what J.C. Ryle says. There are many real children of God who appear to know far more than they live up to, and seem far more than they practice, and yet continue in this state for many years. They believe in heaven, yet seem faintly to long for it, and in hell, yet seem little to fear it. They love the Lord Jesus, but the work they do for him is small. They hate the devil, but they often appear to tempt him to come to them. They know the time is short, but they live as if it were long, They know they have a battle to fight, yet a man might think they were at peace. They know they have a race to run, yet they often look like people sitting still. They know the judge is at the door, and there is wrath to come, and yet they appear half asleep. Astonishing they should be what they are, and yet be nothing more. And what shall we say of these people? They often puzzle godly friends and relations. They often cause great anxiety. They often give give rise to great doubts and searchings of heart, but they may be classed under one sweeping description. They are all brothers and sisters of Lot. They linger. Now that's punchy, isn't it? But is he wrong? I don't think so. And even Jesus experienced this amongst the twelve. Then the fourth group in verse 20, hear the word, They welcome the word, they produce a crop, there is a transformation. And Bishop Ryle says, plain and unmistakable results are seen in heart and life. Sin is being resisted and renounced, Christ is being loved and followed, holiness appears in their conversation. What a wonderful transformation. So those are the four reactions But I wonder if you notice that when it comes down to it, actually there are only two reactions. Unfruitful, fruitful. But those are the four reactions Jesus mentions. Now secondly, let's think about three real enemies. What are they? Well, there are the birds that snatch the seed, there's the shallow soil, and there's the thorny soil. 
And uh, those are three of our old enemies. They are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And here they are in Mark chapter 4. And they are a very formidable opposition to the work of the word. They really are. In fact, they're so formidable that you might wonder sometimes whether the work is really worth it. Uh, The devil arranges for the seed to be snatched. Uh, Sometimes he does that by blinding people, as we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sometimes he does it by distracting, so somebody around you is uh, annoying, uh, or maybe attractive, or interesting, and you're distracted. Or think of the things in technology that demand our attention. Uh, The devil is so inventive, isn't he? He uses all these things that clamour for our attention first thing in the morning. Uh, So we must check the phone, we must check the emails, we must check Facebook. It is all so very distracting. But not only is the devil at work to distract, but the flesh is so shallow. The rush of emotion. You know, some people live their Christian lives on emotion. The heart rules the head. Uh, Some feeling comes over them and they get excited. Uh, Then they get unexcited. Of course, you can't suppress emotion in the Christian life. But if everything in the Christian life is emotion, well, your life will simply be a roller coaster. And if the sermon is all emotion and the reaction is all emotion, well, it's just milk going out to babies. Somebody said once that if a preacher stands up and says Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow and everywhere that Mary went the lamb was sure to go. If he said that with enough emotion, he could get a reaction from the congregation. Well, shallow soil. And then the world chokes the seed. It's a slow, steady tragedy. The truths of Christ move into the background. The things of the world come into the foreground. Now, what is a man or a woman really excited about? Profit? Pleasure? Perhaps a hobby? Work out what excites people. It's a very interesting test. And when that choking happens, the Christian life becomes like a dull facade. So these three enemies are very formidable. Uh, The devil is, in a sense, able to keep somebody from life. The flesh is able to keep somebody from lasting because... As soon as trouble comes, they give up. And the world keeps someone from being productive. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that something would choke me or chain me so that I don't produce any fruit. Now, a very interesting thing about the responses to the seed is that the first three of them hear the word and the word that's used in the original means that they hear and then they finish hearing. So they say to themselves, I heard that, now it's stopped, it's over. But then the fourth group hears the word, and now the word that's used in the original means that they hear and go on hearing. So the danger is that a person will hear the noise, but nothing changes, and they tune out. But when a person hears, and there is an ongoing hearing, there is tremendous productivity, real fruit. Well, let's move on, because I want to look with you now at two meaty truths. And you'll find these in the middle of the passage between the parable and...
and the interpretation. And these are so important that I'm going to read verses 10 to 12 again. Verse 10. When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, or in order that, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now I want to point out two things from this section and I want you to think very hard about these things this morning. Especially those of you who know this parable like the back of your hand. We need to think more deeply about what Jesus is actually saying here. First, I want you to notice that there are two parties at work in the sowing of the seed. So God is at work giving people understanding. Chapter 4 verse 11 he has given you the secret of the kingdom. Now that means if you are a believer this morning and you've been converted and you've been transformed, God has been at work giving you that grace. You see, you might think that this parable is all about listening. You might think that Jesus is saying that God kind of scatters the seed and then he nervously waits, wondering, wondering to himself, well, I do hope somebody takes this in and gets it. But that's not right, because God also gives the understanding. We are responsible to listen. We can never turn around and say, well, it's not my fault. We are responsible for listening. But God gives the understanding so that we can respond. And the second thing to say, which is really quite meaty, is that parables are a two-edged sword. You see, when we hear parables in church or in Sunday school, we're quite likely to think that the parables are stories that make things easier. But Jesus doesn't say that. The parables are a two-edged sword. For some people, they do make things easier. But for some people, they actually make things harder. For some people, they shed light on reality. For other people, they clothe the truth with darkness. And that's why Jesus says in verses 11 and 12 that certain things are said in parables to prevent perception, to actually prevent understanding, to prevent turning and forgiveness. And surely at that point we say to ourselves, well, why would God do that? And the answer might be that in his present timing, a person is being hardened before they're going to be softened. Or it might be that God is actually judging a person. Because these verses are taken from a passage in Isaiah chapter 6 and they're quoted six times in the New Testament. And you need to know that in the original context Isaiah is saying that God's people are being judged because they've been resisting the word of God for years. So, we can't avoid the fact that a parable is going to have a two-edged effect on any congregation. Some people are going to find it deeply helpful. Some people will find it exactly the opposite. It is a two-edged sword. So, Mark chapter 4 is a great call to listen well. But it's also a great reminder that God is utterly in charge of the process. So, 
Yeah, what sort of soil you and I are is extremely important. But the one who scatters the seed is not helpless. He knows exactly what he's doing. And that brings us to the last thing this morning, which I've called the great triumph. Because in the last verse, Jesus says there is going to be a great harvest. The harvest in verse 20 is 30, 60, or even a hundredfold. Now I understand that in those days the average harvest was sevenfold. So when the farmer went out to sow the seed, he was expecting seven times as much in the harvest. And in a bumper year he might get ten. But when Jesus talks about thirty, sixty or a hundred, what's he saying? Well he's saying that the harvest is supernatural. It's a work of God. You see, this parable is not about seed being scattered and a nervous God just hoping that something's going to happen. No. This is God breaking into his world with the word, with the message of Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. And that message is going to do exactly what God has always planned. It is going to produce a harvest that's going to be so great that everyone, everyone is going to be astonished. The believer will be astonished with joy. The unbeliever will be astonished with grief. So, as we finish this morning, we could ask the question, am I hearing the word of God? Am I hanging in there as a believer? Am I bearing any fruit? And because the picture here is of increasing fruitfulness, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown, I could also ask, am I bearing more fruit today than I was this time last year? Those are good questions to be asking. But I think the better question to ask is, is the word of God actually shaping my life? Could I say that my life is being shaped by God's word? Is it leading me? Not trailing behind, picking up the pieces, but actually leading me. And I think from this parable, we might also ask the question, are Bible talks being given in the church that I go to? Because they should be. Uh, Are the sermons faithful to the word of God? Because they should be. Are the sermons about Jesus? Because they should be. But the best question of all to ask is that as the word of God is being preached, week by week, month by month, year by year, Can I see that God, through the apparent weakness of the sowing of the word, is actually producing a harvest that is going to be global and eternal and wonderful? Now that, friends, is a personal challenge for us because we don't want to be the stone on whom the message simply rolls off. And we don't want to be the cut flower that just looks wonderful for a short time. And we don't want to be the one who's chained or choked by the world. We don't want to wreck our lives. We want to be fruitful. And we also want to have confidence in this very great God that he is going to bring in a harvest beyond all opposition and beyond all expectation. And as Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great and gracious God and we pray that your word will have its full effect in our lives. We pray for all who are listening this morning that in your mercy you would cause them to be receptive and welcoming to your word. And we pray that you would also help us to have confidence in you that you are wonderfully at work to achieve what you set out to achieve. We pray that you would fill us with confidence and faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Didn't have my glasses. <laughs> well, it, I, thought, well, I can't see what's going on here. You didn't make this Oh, sorry. No, I didn't. Didn't notice. Oh, sorry. Oh no, is that? Yeah, we'll cut off the end. I'm sure. I can't cut it off the end. Don't worry.